Gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 2 Dungeons and Dragons. Hello out there, and welcome to episode number 2 of You Don't Know Flat. Uh, as many of you may know already, um, Gary Gygax, a man whose name I've been mispronouncing for the majority of my life, uh, passed away earlier this month, and the second episode of You Don't Know Flack is dedicated to Gary. Gary Gygax, Gygax, Gary Gygax, I need to say that about 20 more times, is the co-founder uh, and... Uh, creator of Dungeons and Dragons and TSR Enterprises, the company behind Dungeons and Dragons. And a lot of people that are listening to this podcast uh, are listening to it because of the retro aspect of games and, and video games and stuff. So Dungeons and Dragons may not seem to be related to that, but I do have a lot of D&D related type stories. Uh, I was I played D&D as a kid and, uh, you know, I played a lot of D&D video games too. So I'll try to tie all that together. And um, you know what? It's a bunch of fun, goofy stories. So um, if you liked, uh, if you liked the first episode and you like my stories, then I think you'll dig it even if you're not a fan of Dungeons and Dragons. So let's go ahead and get started with episode number two. Dungeons and Dragons. My first exposure to Dungeons and Dragons was through my next door neighbor's older brother, uh, who played Dungeons and Dragons with his friends. So when I would go over there and spend the night with the neighbor uh, that was my age, I remember flipping through the monster manuals as a kid, which were these big uh, books that just had huge lists of monsters and pictures that went with them. And, and, you know, they're monsters that you could use within the game. But I thought that was really uh, cool as a, as a kid to see these, you know, big, scary, just huge, you know, big hardback books of scary things, you know. So as a, you know, eight or nine-year-old kid, of course, uh, you know, you're getting into monsters and, and that stuff's cool. So that's really the first place I saw Dungeons and Dragons and around that time, around uh, 1982, uh, when I'm like nine years old, uh, I mentioned to my parents that I was interested in Dungeons and Dragons. I was interested in playing it. And, and my parents and I had this relationship where, you know, as long as I went to them and, and asked them about something, you know, they would be, uh, we, we could be open with each other about stuff. And now one thing you have to think about at the time, uh, around this era, around 1982, the early 80s, is that Dungeons and Dragons has a really bad reputation. In a way, it, it's kind of like um, around that same time, the same rap that heavy metal is getting. You know, you have uh, these stories about Ozzy Osbourne um, biting the heads off of bats, and you have these stories uh, about a kid uh, who has killed himself because he's listened to Judas Priest, and it has backwards messages, you know. So, so it's more than just uh, listening to rock and roll music it's like scary you know something that's that can affect you something that makes these kids um depressed or uh commit suicide or start you know worshiping the devil or whatever and dungeons and dragons had that same kind of scary aura around it you know that if you were to play dungeons and dragons that you might actually go crazy and this was fueled 
uh, in the media at that time. There were a lot of very well-publicized cases at the time. One of them was um, a kid named uh, James Dallas Egbert III, who was a child prodigy. He went to college, uh, I think, like at the age of 15 or 16. He went to Michigan State University, uh, and he played Dungeons & Dragons. And one day he disappeared from campus, and the rumors were that Egbert and a bunch of his friends were playing Dungeons & Dragons in this uh, big, huge maze of steam tunnels that existed underneath Michigan State University. And when the, the truth of the story came out, the kid was hanging out in the steam tunnels. Uh, he wasn't playing Dungeons and Dragons down there. It had nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, the kid, you know, had a lot of mental problems. And a couple of years later, he ended up, you know, running away from the college and, and ultimately he committed suicide. But again, it had nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons. But th- that story was turned into a fictionalized novel called uh, Mazes and Monsters, which was then turned into the infamous TV movie Mazes and Monsters, which stars Tom Hanks as uh, a kid named Robbie, who is supposed to be this Dallas Egbert. But of course, in Mazes and Monsters, Tom Hanks' character actually uh, goes crazy playing the game and thinks that he's actually fighting monsters in real life, you know. And um, that that was actually a common theme. Uh, I remember... Uh, as a kid, I read a book called Hobgoblin, which was written by John Coyne. It, it also came out in 1981, and it was the the same basic theme. It was about the story was about a kid who was a loser and he'd moved to a new high school and nothing was going right, and all he had was this game called Hobgoblin, which was you know obviously supposed to be Dungeons and Dragons, and you know nobody likes this kid, but eventually monsters from the game start showing up in real life, and he's battling the monsters and killing them, and then. At the end of the story, it's revealed that, uh, I hope you weren't going to go get this book right now because I'm about to ruin the ending. If, if you're going to go read this book right now, plug your ears for the next five seconds. Uh, but at the end, it's revealed that he went crazy and he's actually been killing his classmates and, and not, you know, fictional monsters. But, you know, it's just another example of, in, in the media, there's this whole onslaught of these types of stories of, you know, if you play this game, then you are going to kill people and worship the devil which as a nine-year-old kid really made me want to play Dungeons and Dragons. And so, you know, I've gone to my parents and uh, told them I want to play this game. And of course, you know, uh, parents had been exposed to these same types of stories in the media. And so what my parents said was, uh, you know what, we will let you play Dungeons and Dragons, but we're going to play it with you first. And so um, we went to the store and my dad bought the basic Dungeons and Dragons set, which came in a a little red box and it had two books in it. It had a player's manual and a dungeon master manual. So that was my first Dungeons and Dragons set. And uh, I remember we sat down as a family in the living room and played my first game of Dungeons and Dragons. Now, for those of you that um, are not particularly interested in Dungeons and Dragons, I'll spare you the details. But the basic idea is that and you probably know this, is that one person is the dungeon master, and that's the person that runs the game. And everyone else who plays uh, play, you know, fictional characters. And so uh, you roll dice and you um, build attributes for your character and based on, you know, what your strengths are, like if, if uh, strength or intelligence or dexterity, whatever your character happens to be best at, you pick a suiting role. And you create your own character. You give it a name and you buy equipment. And then uh, so all these players that have uh, player characters 
go on an adventure that the dungeon master takes you on. And so my, uh, I think the first time my dad actually acted as dungeon master, and then we played again with my mom uh, taking on the role of dungeon master. But, you know, I don't think there's a lot of 9- and 10-year-old kids out there who could say that their first game of D&D was with their parents. But, uh, you know, we we played through the game, and my parents obviously saw that I wasn't going to become a Satan worshiper uh, or, you know, um, suicidal or anything like that from playing the game. And so... Um, you know, they gave it their blessing, and, and off I went, and I started playing Dungeons & Dragons. Now, obviously, from the way I've described the game, you can probably tell that Dungeons & Dragons was not a game that could be played solo. You needed other people. Uh, at a, a bare minimum, you needed two, and that would be one person being the Dungeon Master and the other person playing, you know, multiple characters, which is not the way the game was designed to be played. For the best-case scenario, it would be... Uh, you would have multiple players, you know, but, you know, if you didn't have a lot of people that were playing, then, um, you know, sometimes you had to double up and play multiple characters, which is uh, what I, what we did quite a bit uh, in my neighborhood. Now, the uh, first people I started playing Dungeons & Dragons with were the Roarks, which was a uh, house uh, full of young boys that lived across the street from me. And uh, they had actually, they were familiar with Dungeons and Dragons because they had an Intellivision and they had um, a D&D game for the Intellivision that came out in 1982. So I had the basic set and I had the first uh, module, uh, the adventures were called modules. And uh, so we would create our characters and take each other through the module. Um, now, one thing that went with Dungeons and Dragons was spending money. And obviously, as you know, 9, 10, 11-year-old boys, we didn't have any money. For example, one thing when you created characters, there were these big elaborate character sheets that were formatted, very nice formatting, that you would fill out and put all your attributes and your inventory and stuff. And obviously you couldn't just create these on, on sheets of notebook paper with pencil because you know there was a lot of erasing. So if you erased your character, uh, you know, erased your hit points or something like that or changed your inventory, you would erase the, the sheet too. So um, my mom was actually a secretary working at a uh, oil company at the time, and we would, you know, send her like, you know, one of us would come up with a, a really good character sheet, maybe out of a book or somebody had bought one, and um, she would take him to work and photocopy these things. In fact, I remember um, uh, for a while she was she'd photocopied grid paper for us, which you drew maps on, which is actually pretty sad because I think you could get a pad of grid paper for like a buck or two, but you know, so we were we were budget players. Uh, we, we basically had no money. We used the dice that um, uh, came with my original set for years. And then, you know, you had to have these modules to go on adventures, to take each other through adventures. And I didn't, uh, we didn't have the money to buy these modules. So we made up our own. And, and um, you know, when you're 10 years old, you don't really have a lot of grasp on this fantasy reality, whatever that is. Uh, so we would, you know, make up just the, the craziest dumb things. I remember I, I made this adventure one time where there was a castle uh, and and uh, the door to the castle was being guarded, you know, as the, the characters walked up. For, I had them somehow where they, they had to be separated, like half the party had to go to the right and half the party had to go to the left. Uh, and so once they were separated, they were attacked by ninjas. So first of all, I don't even know what ninjas are doing, uh, you know, in medieval England or where you know wherever this is supposed to take place but so we have these ninjas but the that's not even the dumb part the dumb part is that they were actually um holographs of ninjas where i had these holograph machines and trees and so these holographic ninjas would come down and the idea was that the parties would 
you know, try to attack the ninjas, but really they would be attacking each other because the ninjas were just a holograph in between, you know, the two sides of the party. And so, you know, every we would come up with really dumb things like that. Um, you know, we were just kids. But it was fun going through the adventures. And even though these they were not very well fleshed out, um, you know, we were still learning the basic mechanics of the game. And we learned uh, how to do maps and, and um, you know, the basics of, you know, creating monsters and how to put monsters in. So uh, even though, like I said, even though the adventures were kind of dumb, we, we were just learning the basics at that time. Also, you know, each group of people that you played with, you kind of had your own set of rules. Like when we played uh, with the Roarchs, I remember one of the rules was when your character died, the character sheet would get physically torn up and flushed down the toilet because, you know, nobody wanted their character. They wanted to hang on to their character forever. They didn't want to, you know, have their character actually die, especially, you know, a character that you've spent a lot of, you know, invested a lot of time in building up. And so... If your character died, the dungeon master would just grab your your paper and rip it up, and then it would get flushed, which um, probably caused their toilets to back up after a while. I mean, you know, all these papers that were being flushed out of the toilet. But it was funny because each group that you played with had their own little local rules. Like we always did that when we played with them, but you know, not when I played with my other neighbor. There were you know they had their own rules, so uh, you know you just kind of adapted uh, to your rules, but. That's really how I got started playing Dungeons and Dragons was, you know, during the summer, during those early years and playing with neighbor kids. Uh, and then eventually when I got a little older, like fifth and sixth grade, I began uh, finding other kids at school that wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, like one of my friends, a kid named Jason, we would make up modules for each other. Like I remember this one I made up. Uh, there was a, uh, there was a part of this dungeon where you could, you had the choice of going left or, or right, but really I wanted him to go left. So uh, to the right, I put this knight, and the knight was like twenty feet tall, and there was he was supposed to be indif- you know indestructible, and so Jason had like these throwing knives, and so you know the knight had these little slots you know where he could see out of his uh, helmet, and so I you know he said he's going to try to throw this throwing dagger through the little slots, and so I said you know that's such an impossible thing that the only way you could do that would be to roll a 20-sided die, and get a 20 on both rolls. Uh, and so I figured that would, you know, make it to where, obviously, he's going to fail and he would go the other way. But somehow he actually did that. He rolled two 20s in a row, which I don't know what the odds are for that. But, you know, so he throws this, this dagger into this knight, into his eyeball somehow, and, and kills him, you know. But I think I just, you know, basically I said, well, then, you know, you killed him and he falls and now he's blocking the hallway and there's no way around him. So he did end up having to take his party to the left. But, you know, these early games, we really were just making up stuff as we went, you know, and and trying to figure out, you know, the best way to play these games. So, and like I said before, you know, you had these rules, you know, things that would happen or or maybe um, items that you would get that you would keep with your character and it would be things that, you know, would make sense in that circle of friends, but it wouldn't necessarily apply to someone else's campaign. I went through a module one time, and at the end of that module, there was a random, you were supposed to roll a die to determine, you know, what kind of treasure you would find in this castle. And it was the same type of thing where I rolled some really high die, and then I rolled really high again, and really high, and, and whatever. And it ended up, I ended up getting, like, the Throne of the Gods, which was this artifact that had been blessed by Zeus or somebody like that and it gave whoever sat in this throne and owned this throne special things like it gave me 
um, one wish every day. And so, you know, when you would get these type of things, they would, you know, they had a way of ruining campaigns, a campaign being a group of people that got together and played because now all of a sudden one character can make a wish every day. So if you, you know, wish that all the, you know, you would know where all the gold is in a, in a dungeon or something, you know, it kind of, it would take away from the gameplay. And, and so, you know, like I said, you have this campaign where maybe you played with this one group of friends that you would all have these like crazy type, like artifacts or whatever. And then another group of friends would play really conservative, uh, conservatively. And so, you know, it didn't make sense to take, you know, this super artifact from one group and take it over to another group, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was always kind of weird jumping from from things. In fact, um, some of the kids I played with in my neighborhood, we decided we were going to make this fantasy league, and each of us were going to pick a television show and make characters based off that television show. Uh, so, like, one guy picked Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and so he made a bunch of characters that were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and somebody else picked He-Man, and I actually uh, picked the Thundercats. So all of a sudden I have, you know, the Thundercats and we're going through D&D modules that we're making up for each other as, as dumb kids uh, and as the Thundercats, which is just kind of retarded if you think about it. Uh, and, you know, we would have these big fights like, well, what happens if, you know, He-Man has to fight Donatello or, you know, <laughs> just goofy things like that, which made, you know, it, like I said, it made sense in that. And then when you would go find another group of people to play with. And, you know, you're going on an adventure and they've got a cleric and a, a paladin and a barbarian and you want to bring the Thundercats. It's just kind of dumb. It doesn't mesh, you know. So so we, there was a lot of these little pockets going on, I guess, for us as, as young kids playing D&D. Um, and then around that same time, now we're talking like 1983, we have the introduction of the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Hey, look! Dungeons and Dragons! Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Ah, uh, yes, I remember that well. The Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, you know, really put the wind in our sails as far as D&D was concerned. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we were into it, but then all of a sudden watching it on television and seeing these adventures and, you know, these new, like there were classes like Barbarian, uh, and things like that on the television show that we weren't playing with yet because we were still playing with the the basic set, you know. But but you know we just we just thought that was so awesome. The D and D cartoon ran from eighty three. The original series ran from eighty three to eighty five. I think there were uh, twenty six or twenty seven episodes. 
But then, you know, obviously reruns, it ran much longer. So, um, you know, my friends and I, that was a, a big thing for us was watching the cartoon. So now we come up to uh, junior high. We're in 1985, and I'm 12 years old. And, uh, you know, in seventh grade in my town is where all, you know, uh, before that, in elementary school, there are half a dozen elementary schools, but at, at mid-high, there's one mid-high. So all these schools get dumped in, and all of a sudden, you meet all these other tons and tons of new kids that you've never met before. Uh, and so I started meeting several different people who wanted to play uh, Dungeons & Dragons. One of them was a kid named Lewis. And, um, you know, I'm just going to touch on these briefly because I, there's not a lot of things. But Lewis, I mean, if I had to, to think... Like, one or two things about Lewis. One is that he was the first kid, um, I mean, we had just started getting into uh, AD&D Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, which was, you know, the basic sets were, you know, basic. They didn't have a lot of rule sets to them, but the AD&D books were big, thick, hardback books that had tons and tons of rules. And not only were they more complicated, but if you wanted to play, you had to invest money in these hardback books. And Lewis was the first person I met who had a collection of the hardback books. And one of the ones he had was Oriental Adventures, which had just come out somewhere around that time. And uh, Oriental Adventures was D&D, but set in the Orient so that you could have ninjas and samurai and things like that. And, and so, um, you know, ninjas were big, big, big for me in that era. Uh, you know, in the early 80s, you have the... Uh, the classic ninja trilogy. You have Enter the Ninja, uh, Enter the Ninja 1981, and then we have uh, Revenge of the Ninja in 83, and then one of my favorite bad movies of all time, Ninja 3 The Domination, which is 84. And of course, then those are followed by uh, the American Ninja series. But, you know, so ninjas are big, and so he, Lewis is into ninjas, and ninjas and D&D, and it all goes together in some kind of big, goofy ninja Dungeons and Dragons melting pot. But, so that, so I remember that I I got that from Lewis, uh, and Lewis was also uh, had an IBM uh, in seventh grade like I did, and uh, we developed a basic program that would print out character sheets, and obviously they didn't look like the real thing, you know, it was just done in ASCII or whatever. But I remember Lewis and I working on that project quite a bit and uh, coming up with those character sheets. So. But that was Lewis, and, and I had a couple other friends. Like I had a friend named Stony, and Stony and I would play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, both of our moms bowled on the same bowling league, uh, and they they bowled every Wednesday night. And so Stony and I would meet at the bowling alley and sit in the snack bar and bring all our D and D books and work on different things. But probably the the uh, most influential person I met during that time was my buddy Jeff. And he, Jeff had another friend named Andy Green and Andy Green's older brother, Luke was big into Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, he had all the, you know, every book, all the monster manuals and on his wall was this huge map of where they had gone on adventures and things. So, so this guy, so Luke was really into Dungeons and Dragons. Jeff and I started playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but we didn't play a lot of it because Jeff for those of you that have read Commodore, Jeff was um, Charon. Jeff also had a Commodore 64, and, and right around this time, 85, is when I get my Commodore 64. And really, we find that with two people, Dungeons & Dragons is starting to not be very much fun. 
But what is fun is playing these role-playing games on the computer. And Jeff was a big fan of Ultima. I didn't play a lot of Ultima. I played Wizardry, which was a dungeon crawler type game. And then that summer, later that summer, I'm I'm thinking the probably the summer of 86, um, Jeff got Bard's Tale. And to us, Bard's Tale was pretty much Dungeons and Dragons, but on the computer. I mean, Wizardry was too, but this is the first one, you know, that we played together. And the cool thing was when you're playing on the computer, first of all, the computer acted as the dungeon master. The computer had, you know, the maps and presented us the monsters and all those types of things. So we didn't need a dungeon master anymore. That really changed the way that we played Dungeons and Dragons. Also, it, it changed things because we could, you know, you didn't have to get people together anymore. If the computer was willing to be the dungeon master, then we didn't need somebody to do that. So you could just play by yourself. So it, it was still like playing D&D, but you didn't have to get a group of people together for it all of a sudden. So um, Jeff and I spent the summer of, I think, 86 playing Bard's Tale. And I, I did actually talk quite a bit about this in Commodore, but what what we would do is now I had already played wizardry years before with my dad and and had learned how to do computer uh you know mappings so you would take actual grid paper and and you know every square that you moved in the game was a, a square on graph paper and so you would graph out you know the entire dungeon so and mark where you had found treasure and stuff so I already knew how to do that going into Bard's Tale and so Jeff lived just you know, right across town. And we started, you know, we hit it off as friends, you know, in seventh grade and we started spending the night with each other. But then after that, we would spend the weekend with each other. So my mom would drop me off on Friday and and pick me up on Sunday. So I would spend Friday and Saturday night at his house or he wouldn't mind. And so I was a night owl, but Jeff was really a night owl. I mean, Jeff would stay up hours and hours. Like, I could stay up till maybe 2 or maybe 3 in the morning. But Jeff would stay up, you know, through the entire night. And so we worked out this system where we would start playing Bard's Tale together, like, Friday night. And then we would play until, like, you know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And then I would go to sleep and Jeff would continue playing. And then I would wake up, like, oh seven or eight in the morning and Jeff would still be playing. And so I would get up and then there would be this downloading of information. He would show me the maps and tell me everything that, you know, we had found or whatever. And then he would go to sleep and then I would take over from the game and then I would play and, you know, he would wake up around 11 or noon, something like that. Uh, and then he would come back and then we would play together again. And uh, Jeff's mom would always buy us, uh, she would always order pizza for us, and she would have a three, each of us would have our own three liter of Dr. Pepper. So we would sit at Jeff's desk with our three liters of Dr. Pepper and just drink Dr. Pepper for 48 hours and pizza, and um, I remember a lot of Cheetos during that time. So Cheetos and pizza and Dr. Pepper, that was pretty much a mainstay of our diet for these um, Barge Tail sessions. But, you know, the, the more we played that, and eventually we got Barge Tail 2 and Barge Tail 3, uh, and we played some other adventure type games, but those types of adventures are basically drew us out of playing Dungeons and Dragons. Now, in the late 1980s, you have Dungeons and Dragons games appearing on the Commodore. I think that started around 88, where you have um, Pools of Radiance, um, Hills Far, 
uh, Curse of the Azure Bonds, those types of games. And so, so that was kind of like the perfect thing because it was Dungeons and Dragons, but it was, you know, it was still on the computer. And so you could play it by yourself. You know, I played those games at home and you didn't have to have any, you know, anybody else join you. And then once I got out of the Commodore world and eventually moved to, to the PC, I think Eye of the Beholder was, uh, uh, early 90s, maybe 1990, uh, that came out on DOS. And so, uh, you know, I, I played that as well. And it was the same type of thing. So it, it was Dungeons and Dragons, but, you know, it, it, I basically got away from, from playing with other people, you know. And I didn't play D&D with other people for lots and lots of years. I mean, I don't think it was until maybe around uh, 1998 or 1999. I was uh, hanging out with Jeff one day. And he had to stop by this friend of his, uh, another friend's uh, house. And so I go over to the, and this a guy named Alan. And so Jeff and I stop by Alan's house and Alan has several people over and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. And of course, you know, to me, it's like, wow, you know, I haven't played this in, you know, 10 years or 10 or 15 years. You know, this is crazy. I didn't know people were still doing this. And um, I, I'll never forget, we walk into the house and Alan and someone else are having a heated argument over which are smarter, red dragons or gold dragons. And so the argument is, I think one of them was supposed to be the smartest type of dragon in Dungeons and Dragons, but the other one was the smartest in Tolkien folklore. So this argument is going back and forth. And as we walk in, you know, all of a sudden, we become part of the argument. They're asking us, and you know, I'm like, really? I'm, I'm having a, an argument with adults over which type of dragon is smart, and they're they're pulling out reference material. You know, in this magazine, it says this, and they're trying to you know pull these things out. So I, I remember thinking that it was, uh, <laughs> I remember thinking how silly it was at the time, but uh, but also you know I was kind of intrigued by these people that were still playing D and D. And, you know, maybe a year or so later or two years later, Jeff tells me that they're looking to start a new campaign and wanted to know if I'd be interested in playing. And so, you know, I told him, yeah, you know, I think this would be kind of fun. So we get together and it's Alan and Jeff and myself and um, a few of our other friends. And this is really, I guess, the first time that I played D&D like you're supposed to. I mean, we actually, you know, followed the rules like... I know one rule that we never followed as kid was encumbrance, which was, you know, this a mathematical way of figuring out how much you could carry and how fast you could move based off what you were carrying, which, you know, is, is basic physics. I mean, obviously you cannot carry 28 different types of weapons with you at any given time. So, you know, going on an adventure, you'd have to plan on what you were taking and that's what you put on your sheet. But so as kids, we were like, no, you know, we all had you know, fleets of donkeys with us that would carry around, you know, everything we owned. But, you know, so when we, when I started playing with these, you know, grownups, we actually played it the way we were supposed to play it. And it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, another thing we did as adults that I had never done as kids is we, everybody played one character. So, you know, I would, you know, beforehand, I would think, well, what would this character do? You know, and it, so I took the idea of role-playing uh, really seriously, you know, I mean, sometimes I would, you know, screw people out of treasure or, you know, do things that I, I, I wouldn't do in real life. But, you know, I would, I would think to myself, well, what, how would this character act, you know? And so it really was a lot of fun. But ultimately what happened is, I guess what happens with a lot of plans is that other things came up. You couldn't start one of these games and play for an hour, 
you had to, you know, get people together and get settled, and then we would play for three or four hours. And so, you know, they wanted to play every weekend or every other weekend. And, you know, ultimately people started having kids and, and you know, you had to stay home and or go do stuff with your family or do stuff with your kids. And somebody couldn't do it this week and somebody couldn't do it that week. And then pretty much it, it fell apart over time. And, you know, I still see how it, you know, it was fun. And I, I still see how there's an element of D&D that when you get together with other people in person, that is more fun to me than, you know, regard, you know, I think that it, that people try to simulate it with these um, MMORPGs and, you know, especially like once you're doing chat plus playing the game and stuff, it, you know, you're trying to simulate the coming together of people or whatever, but there, I don't know, there was something about being in the same room and playing with people that just kind of added an element of fun to it. And when you're playing D&D on a computer, there's always that, uh, you know, the the adventure is always set. You know, the the encounters may be random, like where you run into creatures or what type of treasure you get each time or whatever, but the basic storyline is set, you know, and, and when you play with a real dungeon master, those things could always change, you know. Um, if the adventure went off on some weird whim, the, the DM could, you know, make changes or whatever. And, you know, when you're sitting in a room of people and the only thing that you're using to play is your mind, then... You know, you never know what people are going to come up with. And, and you know, so the DM kind of has to be on their toes, too, and, and be just as creative as the players and, and let them, um, you know, adjust the game as to where the game's going. But, uh, you know, that's pretty much it with um, me and Dungeons & Dragons. But I, I really did like playing it. You know, I enjoyed it as a kid. I still have my old, I have all my old books. I have all those old basic sets still. I have all my hardback books. Uh, and I, you know, I actually looked at selling the books on time and they don't go for any money on eBay. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I just keep them every now and then I'll flip through them and stuff. And maybe someday I'll, I'll give them to, uh, to my kid. You know, if I, I can't imagine kids wanting to play D and D I wish they would because I, I think it's kind of neat, but, um, with the internet and the online stuff, I don't see kids coming together and playing, you know, paper and dice games in the future. I, I don't know. I hope they do, but I, I'll keep the books just in case, but I still have that. I have my little crown royal bag of dice. You know what? One thing I didn't mention is um, in the local mall was a hobby shop, and the hobby shop had uh, miniatures and you know all different things like that, uh, lots of war game type stuff. Um, but that was where we all went for our dice, and so you would go there, and I, I think dice were like a buck each, something like that. And you could go and you could either get like a set of, you know, matching dice. Like I had these crystal green dice, uh, a whole set of, of all six dice that I would use. Or you could buy like different colors, like mix and match, like you want one of these. And then they had specialty dice, like everything from, you know, like weird stuff, like one-time usage type things all the way to like, I remember the the hundred-sided die, which look it's bigger than a golf ball. It's this big, huge ball that would roll around, you know, so... But I remember going to the hobby shop, saving up money so I could go buy, you know, a special, a special die to have in my little bag of tricks, you know. But um, yeah, it's hard to see kids in the future playing Dungeons and Dragons, um, and it may be one of those things that goes by the wayside. And people that feel like they're getting old sit around and talk about on podcasts while um, young kids play MMORPGs and wonder what the big deal was, and uh, see, you know the whole thing of getting together in the same room with other players as being a hassle instead of something fun to do. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it with D and I don't, I don't know that I would 
would play again in the future or not. I, I had a good time playing, but you know, uh, as I get older and I have less time for gaming, uh, you know, kids and jobs and things like that, uh, take up most of my time these days. And, uh, it seems like it's easier to, if I were going to play something, it, it would probably be on the computer again. So, but, uh, I think I'll leave it at that. That's episode two of you don't know flack. And, uh, the for episode three, I've had a couple of requests to talk more about arcade stories, and I've had uh, one or two requests to talk more about console copiers. So those are both topics. I'm pretty sure episode three is going to be about arcades. So uh, if you're if you're interested in uh, the old days of arcades and arcade games, then um, tune in for episode three. That should be coming out uh, April first or thereabouts and um, I think that's where we're going to leave it so thanks for listening to episode 2 if you have uh, any requests questions or comments about the show you can drop me an email uh, my email address is robohara at robohara.com that's R-O-B-O-H-A-R-A and um, if you want to subscribe to the podcast we have an RSS feed now at tech.robohara.com so stop by there and sign up for the RSS feed and Uh, I think that's it. So thanks for listening and we'll see you in episode three.